0: Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for justice and mercy and the privilege of walking with you. We pray, Father, that you will guide us in our thoughts this morning as we open your word, that you will teach us, Lord, because we need to know about you. We want to grow in relationship with you. So we thank you for teaching us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So where is the holiest place you have ever been? I pondered that thought this week and it occurred to me that perhaps it was that moment when I descended with a group of tourists down a long winding staircase into a narrow little area and then into a tiny grotto and then on my hands and knees down to a spot where there was a star in the floor where they say that Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem. Can't know if that's exactly the spot but It seemed to me to be a a holy place. I went to Nazareth where Jesus grew up and and worshiped in a Baptist church there. Uh, I walked into the Jordan River and I saw the place where they say Jesus was buried. In fact, I saw two places where they say Jesus was buried and I'm not sure which one is the right one, but each of them is recognized as a holy place. In fact, there's one place over in Israel that's recognized by by seemingly all religions, uh, the Temple Mount area. The history of that place is way back in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham uh, walked up that hill, that Mount Moriah, with his uh, son Isaac and later David was trying to see if a plague could stop in Israel and there on the threshing floor of Arauna, that same spot, Mount Moriah, there God stopped the plague and David made an offering to the Lord. It was there later that, that his son Solomon would build a temple, and it was there that Herod would rebuild a temple. But today, if you go there, there is, uh, on the on that, that hillside there, the Dome of the Rock, and it's controlled by the Islamic people. They see it as a holy place. The Jews see it as a holy place, and Christians see it as a holy place. At the risk of being irreverent. I wonder if you would consider with me that any place we meet God face to face is a holy place so where is your holy place is it is it here perhaps is it in another church in another city maybe a place at a camp meeting or a revival where you made a commitment to Christ for some of our students i'm pretty sure it's a place up near cleveland cleveland texas that is a place called chain of lakes where we met for years for camp tallawood and for others it's camp eagle it, it might be right here for you, I don't know, but one of my holy places is St. Mary's Falls up in Glacier Park on the Montana-Canada border, not far from where our students will sing in just a few weeks. I went there when I was a senior in high school, just about to leave home with my two best friends, Matt and Sean, and I stood there on a bridge looking over a waterfall that cascaded down the, the mountainside and then plummeted the last several feet into this azure blue pool with sort of white foam and bubbles coming up and we watched two uh, mule deer doe sort of ascend up the side of that waterfall and, and in that place I remember thinking I'm about to leave home and a uh, Life is about to begin and who knows what the future holds, but already at that place in my life, I was aware of God's presence, but maybe more especially so in that beautiful place, in that place where uh, there was so much of God's great, beautiful creation. So where is that holy place for you? For Jacob, it was a roadside stop, a place to spend the night where he had a dream, and he renamed that place Bethel. The house of God. Would you listen to his story with me this morning? Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Go with God. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Let's open God's word and stand together as we read his word. Our text, uh, Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. As we continue to think about God's wisdom for our families. I want to take an example from scripture just to show us how that we can go with God. Genesis 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back into this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. When Jacob made a vow to God saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. You may be seated. So, where exactly does God live? Jacob didn't know where God lived when he left home. Remember, he left home in a bit of a hurry, not because he was headed off to school somewhere, but because, frankly, he was fleeing for his life from his own brother. He was sitting down to the banquet of consequences of choices that he himself had made. And as his family sent him on the way, he was headed from a place in the very southern part of Israel called Beersheba up to the northernmost part, north and east. There was a place called Haran where along the way his family had stopped for a season. They had left Ur of the Chaldees. Remember that uh, Abraham left there and they stopped in Haran for a season. And and there Jacob's mother's people still lived and he was on his way there and, and perhaps at the stop of the very first night of his journey, just a place to, to fall asleep there. He lies down and as Charles Haddon Spurgeon described it rather poetically, with the, uh, with the hedges as his curtains, with the heavens as his canopy, with the earth as his bed and a rock for his pillow, he heard a voice in a dream Say, I am with you. And he would awaken the next morning and look back to the southwest and remember that he had left his father's house and his mother who loved him there. And he would look back to the northeast and he would see somewhere in the distance that place where his mother's people lived. People he did not even know. But every step of the journey, he would remember a voice saying to him, I am with you. Now, he didn't understand it fully. You can even tell in the way he responds that his understanding is incomplete. He thinks that it's that place, that somehow that place is where God is and that someday he will actually return to that place, come back to Bethel, if you will, with his family and tell them all, we're going to worship here because this is where I met God and this is where God made himself known to me. But I have a notion that I'd like to share with you this morning. I'm not sure it was that place. In fact, I'm pretty sure that wherever Jacob had stopped for the night, God would have found him because God is not some local Lord, some district deity as though he had some boundaries of his jurisdiction. He is the God who is God everywhere. He is the God who is good all the time. He is the God who goes with us whether we know it or not. And it's good before we go to know that we can go with God. That God will be with us and go with us. Perhaps this is what we ought to pray over every one of those graduation cards we receive in the mail. Not that God will go with them, but that the students will know that God is with them wherever they go. That if they, for instance, stay in Houston, that God is also the God of the of the Cougars and the Huskies and the Owls. Or if they make their way up Highway 6, they'll discover that He is there in College Station. Or if they go a little further, He's even there in Waco. Or if they go west on 290, He's there in Austin. Or further west, He's out there in Lubbock. He is everywhere we go. And the question is not whether... God will go with us. Our God is the God who travels. The question is whether we will go with God. Somebody here perhaps has moved here from some other holy place. Some place where for years you worshipped in a church where you knew that God was there. He was there in the music. He was there in the proclamation of the word. And every time you went to that place, you sensed his presence there. And perhaps you, like those Israelites I read about yesterday in Psalm 137, maybe you're saying, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? We might as well hang our harps in the willow trees. How 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 can God be here when we know He's back there? But that's the sort of uh, destination disease that we suffer from. That somehow, if we could only be in this place or that place, we would know that God was there and God was with us and we were okay. But the good news is God is with us. In fact, God goes with us no matter where we've been. And we've been lots of places, I think, of Jacob's life particularly and Not only was he a a sojourner, one who traveled with a nomadic family shepherding sheep, but but in fact, he'd been a lot of places spiritually, hadn't he? He started out with a resident selfishness. He was always seeking a blessing, stealing his brother's birthright, stealing his brother's blessing. That's why he's leaving home, not because it's time that he's grown up and he needs to go off and find a wife, but rather because, in fact... He's caused so much trouble at home, he can't stay there anymore. And he leaves on that journey, and the scriptures tell us that he who had wrestled with his father and deceived him in order to get the blessing receives a second blessing, if you will, in chapter 28, verses 1 to 4. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way. So his father sends him out. And he leaves his family behind. It's a family that has blessed him. It's a family that in some ways has had its dysfunctions of parents who chose teams with their children and competed. Uh, Jacob had the pleasure of being his mother's favorite and his father's second favorite. The problem was there were only two and he was number two in his father's eyes. But even his father blesses him again as he sends him out. And I've tried this week to ponder what that was like as we wrote letters to our seniors uh, Melanie wrote a letter to Graham. I wrote a letter to Graham. Graham's supposed to be writing a letter to us. And uh, we're supposed to share those in a banquet uh, during the 11 o'clock hour today. And I thought about what that was like. And frankly, uh, I think uh, that if we had nine months at least to prepare for a child to come into the world, we need at least that much time to prepare to send them out into the world. And some of you have told me what it's like when you drop off your kid's at college and uh, you drive back home and you, you drive with tears streaming down your face. And I suspect that will be me in a, in a couple of months. I remember the first time I ever saw my father cry. Uh, my father, big, strong, tough Jake, was when we were standing in the airport in Frankfurt, West Germany, putting my oldest brother, David, on a plane. He got on the Lufthansa and uh, my father stood there and we watched that plane take off. And I saw tears stream down his face. There is a sense of sorrow, isn't there, in, in sending our kids away. The song that Dave Ray sang, uh, beautiful words, uh, there will be tears as you take off, but I'll cheer you as you fly. These are the emotions that we feel as we send our children out into the world. And I, I experienced it in a dream recently. I, I went to sleep one night and uh, I... Uh, during the night, dreamed that we were on a sort of family trip with a number of families in our church, the kids with whom Graham has played basketball since he was a third grader in Tallawood basketball. And and all the boys were lined up on the shore of this beach and there was an island out there in the lake and they all swam out to the island. And Graham was swimming and they were all swimming and they got to the island. I remember he turned around and he sort of waved at us and smiled and we waved at him and then he just dove off the other side of the island and kept swimming. And I couldn't see him anymore. And it was one of those dreams, seriously, I, I sort of woke up and I didn't want to go back to sleep because I didn't want to experience that dream. I didn't want to believe. And I woke up and I told Melanie about it. And I said, what's this about? And she said, you know exactly what it's about. He's going away out of sight and you're not going to have as much influence in his life, at least as much direct influence in his life. Well, that's the way we feel. And I'm sure Isaac felt some of that. And he mixed that grief with a little bit of guilt about the way he's treated his son and all of that. And there are all kinds of emotions. And, and, and Jacob leaves and Jacob takes with him the experiences of his childhood. And at the same time, he realizes as he runs from his family to another family that he doesn't know, in his mind, there's not the slightest thought of God. But isn't it great that even though God wasn't on Jacob's mind, Jacob was on God's mind. God was thinking about him and intervened in his life in such a remarkable and powerful way. And here he is running from God, running from his own experiences. It is as Francis Thompson said, God is that hound of heaven. As he describes it in his poem, I, I fled him down the, the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my mind. And in the midst of tears... I hid from him, but God has a way of finding us, doesn't he? I have no doubt that no matter where we've been, that God goes with us. I have no doubt that no matter where we go, God will go with us. He's on his way, really sort of leaving the promised land as he goes, but... God speaks to him there. God comes to him there. And God reminds him there that he is not only the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, but he desperately wants to be the God of Jacob as well. And as he appears to Jacob in that dream, and Jacob sees the angels ascending and descending and life, is really, isn't it? It's a sort of ascent and descent. And if we're not going forward, we're going backward. And we need to be going forward towards God. And in that dream, there with that that rock as his pillow, he awakens and thinks, Wow, I had no idea that God was here. That of all the places I could have stopped, he is right here in this place. In that place that was called Luz, he renames Beth El, Beth House, El God, the house of God. He renames that place the house of God. But you know what he doesn't know? is that Genesis chapter 12 verse 8 tells us that on Abraham's journey, he had stopped in that exact same spot. And he had worshipped God. There between Bethel and I, Abraham had encountered God, and it says, he called upon the name of the Lord. Jake and I went on a trip to Nashville, Tennessee last year, my father and I, back to a place that neither of us had been, a place where his great-great-grandfather, my great-great-great-grandfather, had been a Baptist preacher during the Civil War. And we traveled down these little uh, these little serpentine roads, driving down these paths, and uh, came to churches that my great-great-great-grandfather started. And he and I would get out and take pictures of each other there and think about that place. And it occurred to me... That wherever you and I go in this world, whether we've ever been there before, it is likely that somebody has loved God there before. That that place is in its own right a holy place because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And the question is not whether God goes with us, but if there is anywhere in this world where God is not, our omnipresent God has preceded us, as Jesus told His disciples, as the angels said, when you get to Galilee, you'll discover He's there because He goes before you. And some years ago, I challenged you as a church to look for God's presence everywhere you go because He is already there. And I want you to hear what God says to Jacob because I think He speaks these words to us as well. What He says is, I am the God who is God everywhere. I am with you. This is a marvelous promise. It's no different than the promise he made to Moses, the promise he made to Joshua, the the promise he makes to Jacob is... I am with you. I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants. And he just says, wherever you go, I am there. And this is the moment where Jacob begins to internalize and own his faith as his own. He grew up in a very spiritual and religious family with a very holy heritage. But at some point, he has to own it as his own. Because even though God was the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, God doesn't have any grandchildren. Each of us relates to him uniquely and individually. And Jacob begins to own his faith when he recognizes that God wants to be his God as well. And that's a great moment, isn't it? For Pascal, that moment happened back in the year 1654. He had actually been in a carriage drawn by horses, and it had almost gone over a bridge. And it's like those scenes you see in the movie. The carriage was just sort of teetering on the brink of falling off. And he had climbed out the window and saved his own life. And this great philosopher and mathematician, some weeks later, he recorded his experience. He was in his own home, and he wrote it down. It's called the memorial. And he wrote, in the year 1654, the year of our Lord, 1654... From about half past ten in the evening till about half past midnight. Fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, God of our fathers, God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not the God of the philosophers, but the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. My God and your God. My God will be your God. Your God will be my God. Certitude, feeling, feeling. Peace, joy, and this is life, to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And he wrote those words down and sewed them into the the pocket of his jacket so that when he died, they found them there. The words called memorial, that experience of fire that happened When Pascal came to know God personally, and he would later write in that same thing, the only way to know this God is through the Gospels, through the story of Jesus Christ. And every one of us at some point must experience that fire and own it as our own. And nobody but nobody can do that for us. And Jacob begins that journey. And I admit to you, I don't think he completely understands. This rock will be God's house. He doesn't completely understand, does he? But he understands enough to know that God is there. That God is God everywhere. That God is is great to him. God is good to him all the time. And listen to God's promises. I'll give you land and I'll give you descendants. But it's better than that. God says to him, I will go with you and not only bless you. Remember, in his selfish journey, it's all been about Jacob and being blessed. But what God says to him, if you look there in verse 14, is all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. You hear what God is saying? I not only want to bless you, but I want you to be a blessing. Bernard of Clairvaux talked about the four stages of love in our lives he said all of us at the start of our lives love self for self's sake nobody had to teach us selfishness did they it was just there when we were born that sense of i have to take care of myself and he said there comes a point in our lives when we move a little further down the journey and we love god For self's sake, you see a lot of this, for instance, as you listen to popular religion these days. I'll scratch God's back if God will scratch mine. God, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. I have a friend who years ago found himself in Vietnam and said to God, if you bring me home safely to my family, I will go to church every Sunday morning. I'll, God, if you love me, I'll love you. A sort of bargaining kind of relationship. You hear Jacob saying, if you get me back here, God, if I can get back to Bethel someday and you bless me and take care of me, give me wealth, God, I'll I'll tithe. I'll, I'll come back to this place and I'll give you a tenth of everything you've given to me. I'll sacrifice and I'll worship and and I'm not disparaging that religion. I just want you to know that's not all there is. There comes a point when we not only love self for self's sake and we love God for self sake. But I hope we come to the place where we love God for God's sake. When we just love God just because he's God. That's a great place to be. You see more of that in the New Testament than in the Old. But it's important to get to the place where we just say God... I love you no matter what happens in my life. You hear it in the echo of the words of Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. God hasn't been taking care of everything I wanted, Job says. But I still, I still trust him. You hear it in Paul's words when he knows he's at the end of his journey. And he says, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not only for me, but also for all who have loved him. Love God for God's sake. And then Bernard waxes a little bit philosophical when he says the highest stage of love is when we can finally love ourselves, not for ourselves sake, but for God's sake, we can love ourselves. And see, that's a hard journey for a person like Jacob who's lived his life selfishly. To begin to believe that God loves him. This is the picture of grace that all of us need to experience. And I know that God wants to bless us. I know that God is with us. I know that God is for us. But I wonder why God has blessed us. He says that all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I was thinking some years ago about what we really want for our kids. It wasn't long after I came here that it occurred to me that we could summarize our ambitions for our kids, our dreams for them, in a series of initials. For instance, when they're born, we're concerned about their APGAR score, and then we we want to get them in the best pre-K so that they can hopefully get into K and they can make good grades and have a high GPA and maybe make a good score on the PSAT so that they might have a chance to make a good score on the SAT or the ACT so that they can get into a college where they can get a BA or a, or a BS or a, or a BBA and then they, they get to take the, the GRE or the GMAT or the LSAT or the MCAT in the hope that maybe they'll go on in graduate school and maybe they'll get an MBA or an MDiv or or, or maybe if they study a little hard they might get a a JD or an MD or or a PhD. And why all of this? So that they can get a good job and have a a, a 403B or a 401K. And why all of this? So that they might drive a larger SUV. (laughs) Except now the gas prices are so high that we wish for something different for them. But I remember this week that Johann Sebastian Bach, at the top of every score of music that he wrote would put a couple of initials jj jesu yuvit, jesus help me those are good initials for our kids lives and at the end of every score of music he would write sdg soli deo gloria the journey from loving self for self's sake To loving God for God's sake is a journey that takes us right through Psalm 115 verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory because of your love and your faithfulness. And every one of us in this room needs to make that journey to come back to Bethel, to that holy place where we remember that God is with us. And better than that, God is for us and that God blesses us. And why? group of mothers in SUVs in Portland Oregon years ago stopped at a coffee shop after they dropped their children off and they were purchasing their 9 dollar lattes there at the window in this drive through there was a long train of suburbans back in those days and uh and and uh, expeditions and excursions and all of these SUVs lined up, and one mother was feeling so good as she bought her coffee. She looked in her rearview mirror and saw the woman behind her, and she didn't know her, but she just felt like she ought to do something for this other mom. And she said, "I'd like to buy her coffee as well." So she paid the lady, and and uh, then the next lady drives up and prepares to pay for her coffee, and she says, "No, no, the lady in front of you bought your coffee. Well, who is she? I don't know her." Well. It doesn't matter. She bought your coffee. Well, then I'll buy the coffee for the lady behind me. And in this long train of ladies, the story is for two hours and five minutes, 27 consecutive ladies bought coffee for the person behind them. They were blessed and they wanted to be a blessing. And my question as I've pondered that story through the years is, so who was number 28? <laughs> who just said, thanks, vroom. Because I don't want to be number 28. Look, I have no doubt that God is with us. But I wonder this morning if we are with God. I have no doubt that God is for us. But I wonder if we are actively for God. I have no doubt that God is going to bless us. But I wonder, will we be a blessing? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. For blessing us so richly. Help us now I pray. To be a blessing. God we want to go with you. Or like Moses we say. Lord if we don't go with you. Don't send us up at all. Because we can't live a a minute without you. And we've never needed you more. Than we do now. In Jesus name. Amen.